The Old Testament reading this morning is a responsive reading from the 46th chapter of the book of Isaiah, beginning at the fifth verse. To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out the gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it good, and they bow down and worship it. They lift to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Though one cries out to it, it does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. Remember this. Fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I do. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are far from righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. The New Testament reading this morning comes from the 12th chapter of Luke, beginning at the 35th verse. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved the beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Let's return to Luke chapter 12 and the passage we read just a few months ago with Greg. If you're visiting, we're in a study in the gospel according to Luke. We started over a year and a half ago, 
and we have taken verse by verse, episode by episode, line by line, and we find ourselves in the 12th chapter. To set this in context, uh, our, our scripture begins this morning with 1233. That's where we began reading. But it goes back to the 13th verse. Uh, if you if you have your Bibles and you were looking at your Bible, you would see the, the parable of the rich fool that Jesus told in response to uh, a question that someone, a request that someone made of Jesus. And the subject is greed. The subject is materialism. Uh, and Jesus uh, answers with this parable. And then it seems like the subject changed because with verse 22, uh, it seems like a new subject, but it's not at all. He continues to address the matter of materialism, and he talks about the the transforming power of God, the transforming power of the word of God to change us from a materialistic, greedy people to a godly and generous people. And then you think that section ends with verse 34, but actually verse 35, as he begins to talk about the second coming and judgment it's a, just a continuation of the same subject. That's what we will see this morning. So uh, this afternoon, you would do well to sit down and begin reading with Luke chapter 12, verse 13, and read through to uh, verse 48. And you'll see the unit. And if you don't see it, read it a second time or a third time. I assure you it's there and it will make sense. Before we... Look at this passage this morning. Let's pray and ask the Jesus who spoke these words to the disciples there that day. That same Jesus is here this morning. Let's ask him to speak these words to us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you as your priests. Oh, Father, we are prophets. We want this church to be full of prophets bringing your word to Fayette County. But, Father, we're also priests who are bringing Fayette County before you, who are bringing our neighbors, our families, and each other before you in prayer. Our Father, I pray, we pray together that you would lay this burden upon us that we would see, each one of us would see ourselves as priests and we would see this church as a community of priests. This morning, as we remember what our nation is celebrating this week. Our Father, we cannot help but to pray for your mercy on our land. And yet, Father, I fear and we fear 
that it is a mercy that has been much abused and even mocked. For Father, we are witnessing all around us a culture that is declaring itself liberated from your word, liberated from your very person, liberated from the creator, the sustainer and redeemer. Our Father, we pray that in spite of this, you would have mercy. We pray that you would send another Jeremiah, another Isaiah, another John the Baptist to bring your word and power to this land. And we pray that you would use Christ Presbyterian to bring your word in power to Fayette County. And Father, even if the nation forsakes you, even if the state forsakes you, our Father, we pray that in this place there would be an island of respite. There would be an island of people who know and love you and will stand firm on your word. We pray for our homes, Father, for our children, for our grandchildren, that you would draw them to yourself, draw them to your word, cause them to know and love you, draw near to them that they can draw near to you. Our Father, we pray for those in need, physical need in, in Christ's prayers today for Jim Bennington, for Billy Griggs. Father, we pray for Priscilla Turner. We pray that you would continue to give her a physical strength and spiritual strength. We thank you for her testimony. Our Father, we pray for Janet Sartell. We pray, Father, that you would answer her prayer. We pray that in great mercy, without pain, without hurt, that you would take her home. Father, she has a place to go. She has a glory that she is only caught a glimpse of all of her life. We pray even before she crosses over that she will see that glory and run to the light. Now, as we open your word in this room, in this sanctuary, we pray that you would speak to us. John Sartell cannot speak so that it will make any difference in our lives. But, Father, your word in the mouth of your Holy Spirit can shake us, can change us, to the very depths of our being. 
And we pray that we would hear your voice in our hearts this morning. Maybe some of us for the first time, in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Remember the future and live backwards. When we first look at this passage, we think Jesus is primarily teaching his disciples about the second coming. And that's simply not true. To this point, Luke, the Jesus in Luke, in Luke's story, had not mentioned the second coming. He talked about his death, about the resurrection, but not about leaving, not about a coming again. If this passage was primarily about the second coming, Jesus would have elaborated with more chronological detail. He would have explained more of the plan. He certainly alludes to the second coming. As we read this this morning, we saw that immediately. But the passage has a different major point. Jesus has been speaking about greed. He's speaking, he's been speaking about the lust for and the misuse of God's blessings. And we've seen that even though most of us don't think of ourselves as greedy people, we've come to think and see ourselves in that light in the last two weeks. And he spoke then about how putting the kingdom of God first in every area of our life, whether we're teachers, whether we're lawyers, whether uh, we're farmers, whatever we are, whatever our vocation, in our homes, in our marriages, in all the different spheres of our life, in every sphere, putting the kingdom of God first will change us, will transform us from a greedy people into a generous people. One of the contrasts we saw was that of a, a rich farmer ruled by greed in Jesus' parable, and he was ill-prepared to die. Jesus called him a fool. While another man, in contrast, who put the kingdom of God first, had laid up treasures and was ready to go home. And that's why Luke continues speaking of this matter using judgment, the theme of judgment, the theme of the second coming. If you look at Luke 12:34, he ends that section, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you lay it up all here on earth, uh, yeah, that's where your heart's going to be. If in every part of your life you're constantly looking toward the kingdom of God, that's where your treasure is going to be. Your heart's going to be there. And so, with verse 35, what does he say? Look at it on your look at it on your scripture sheet. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. And then what does he say? Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. He said, be ready. For judgment, be ready for the second coming. Don't put a break between those two sentences. This afternoon, when you read it, see it is just Jesus continues the subject. The question is, how can we live 
and always be ready. How can we live in the details of every day and be ready? Ready to die. Ready for Christ to return. Ready for this judgment. And it's not in knowing when you're going to die. It's not in knowing people spend, have spent their entire lives looking for the signs of the second coming. And when is it that Jesus will return? That's not the issue, even though that's not a bad thing to do. That, that's not what will stem the greed. That's not what will transform us from living, living greedy lives to living generous to living generous lives. Jesus moved ahead in time. He took the disciples and he said, I'm coming back. He said, there's going to be a judgment. Heaven is a reality. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. He moved them to the future. And he talked about the future and he talked about judgment. And then what did he say? Now, you live in light of that judgment. Live backwards. T.H. White wrote the once and future king. It's his rendering of that wonderful legend of, of King Arthur. And as you know, in the story of King Arthur and in White's once and future king, there's this wizard Merlin. He's a wonderful wizard. And he's one weird guy. Because everyone else in the story is like us. They're living from the past to the future. Merlin, in White's rendering, is living from the future into the past. He's coming from the future. Merlin remembers the future. He knows where everybody's headed. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples here. He looks and says, this is what's happening in the future. And it better have a lot to do with the way you live your life now. That brings us to the first major point of this passage. What are we to remember? We're to remember that we're designated custodians. That's it. You and I are designated custodians. Look at verse 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master. We're not the master. He said, be like men who are ready for their master to return from a wedding banquet. Look at verse 42. The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager? This is a separate parable. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food at their proper time? You're just a manager. He's not the owner. He's not the master. In the first brief parable that begins with verse 35, the servants are taking care of an estate and the estate didn't belong to them. In the second brief parable that begins in verse 42, the manager is given certain responsibilities by the owner of the estate while he's away. But it's the owner that gives the direction. The manager doesn't own it. Jesus was saying, 
Do you want to be ready when I return? Do you want to be ready to die? Do you want to be ready for judgment? Remember, this is related to what we've seen in the last two weeks. It's like he's almost repeating it. Remember that you're not owners of what you have. You're custodians. You're taking care of something that belongs to something else, someone else. Just think about this for a minute. Everything we have, everything we have, I don't care whether it's the shirt you have on or your car or your son or your daughter. You're not an owner. We're not owners. We're custodians. Now, I think that we think we know this. But I don't think we do. It's easy for me to say, and I say it all the time, everything I have comes from him. One of my favorite prayers, a prayer that I pray every day is, Father, it's all of grace and I don't deserve it. Everything I have comes from you. It's all of grace I don't deserve. However, I tend, after I say that, say, Father, everything I have comes from you. It's mine. It's mine. Jesus said in this parable, it not only comes from me, it's still mine. You're taking care of it for me. Now, what should shake you if, if you're not a believer this morning? What should shake you is this. This is not, he's just not speaking of, well, this is true for Christians. No, this is true for every human being that's ever walked on the face of the earth. Remember Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel? He kept saying, look what I've done, look at what I've done, look at what I've done. And God said, don't you understand? You're just a custodian here in Persia. I've given you everything you have. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't get it. And God made him insane. He went out and acted like a cow eating grass in the field. And in the end, he came to his senses. <laughs> he said, God not only gave me everything I have, it's still his. I'm just a custodian. That's what it says. Several years ago, remember the, the person who the individual, the man who invested money for nonprofit organizations, churches, schools, very large sums of money. And he, he treated the money as if it belonged to him. He, he bought houses and cars, he lived planes, he lived an extravagant life. And, you, and we were very angry about that. It didn't belong to him. That's exactly what we do to God. This is all through scripture. I, I purposely chose a passage from Isaiah and a passage from Ezekiel just to, to show this. We could go to several different places in scripture to see it. But 
Look at Ezekiel 16, 17. It's there on your scripture sheet. Ezekiel 16, 17. God is speaking. You also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourselves male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. Now, even though he says the gold I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, it's still mine. It's, it was just on loan. Look at verse 18. And you took your embroidered clothes to put on them. And you offered my oil and incense before them. You see it. He says, he's saying, even though I, I gave you this, you're, you're, you're acting like it's yours to do with whatever you please. But he hadn't finished yet. Look at verse 19. Also the food I provided you, the fine flour, olive oil, and honey I gave you to eat. You offered his favorite incense before them. That is what happened, declares the Lord. Now, this is precious. And you took your sons and daughters. Now, he called them your sons and daughters. Whom you bore to me. What does that suggest? They really belong to God. And sacrificed them as food to idols. Was your prostitution not enough? And then he comes right out and said, verse 20, you slaughtered my children. And sacrifice them to the idols. You took my covenant children. And you gave them up to pagan practices. And you can just hear them saying these are our children. We'll do as we please. When I read that I could. I could hear the feminists of our generation yelling. This is my body. I can do with it whatever I want. They don't call the. They don't call the baby in their body a, a baby. They call the fetus. The fetus. But what do they say? The fetus in my body. It's a part of me. People, there's nothing we have. There's nothing we have. That's an arrogant statement. There's nothing we have that we own. And I can't say anything about the feminists. This is my house. This is my car. That's the way I think. This is my life. I've got a deed that says 60 Augusta Drive belongs to me and to Janet. This says I'm just a custodian of my house. What is it that you own that God has not given you? What is it that you own? Go and tell him right now. Say, God, I own this, and it has nothing to do with you. You don't own it. You don't have anything to do with you, None of us can say that about anything. We're to remember that we are we're moving from judgment back to now. Jesus saying, quit trying to figure out when I'm coming back. Just know that I'm coming back and you're not the owner. Remember that you're a designated custodian. Second, we're to remember that the owner will demand an accounting. Look at verse 36. So that when he comes and knocks 
they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds him watching when he comes. I'll tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and come and wait on them. And it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Look at verse 43. It will be good for the servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. i tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And then, and he then begins to beat the men's servants and maid servants to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he does not, he's not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. In both parables, the custodians, the servants, have to give an account to the owner. This is all through scripture. Consider what's coming. Consider what is an absolute certainty. We can't know. We don't even know what will happen this week. But there is one absolute certainty, absolute certainty that no man on earth, no woman on earth, no child on earth can avoid. There will be an accounting. And you live backward from that to today. It's Again, this is all through scripture. Look at Isaiah. I love this passage. Look at Isaiah 46, 8. We read it for our responsive reading. Remember this. Fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. And he wasn't speaking about old Miss or just old Miss. Remember, remember the former things. Now, look at this. This is beautiful. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. So he says, you look back at the word of God. You look back at your heritage and you know who God is. I'm God and there's no one like me. But then immediately after he looks at the past, what does he say? I make known the end from the beginning. I make known what's coming, what you need to know about what's coming. There's, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. That's what Jesus is doing. He's saying to the disciples, this is what is to come. I'm the ancient God, the creator. But I make known the end from the beginning. Daniel Webster said it this way. My greatest thought is my accountability to God. Daniel Webster was a brilliant, brilliant man. What did he say? My greatest thought, the greatest thought I have is my accountability. I know I'm a custodian, and I know I must give an account. Why are you and I so careful about filling out income tax forms? I don't know about you. I can tell you why I am. I'm scared to death of an IRS audit. Not because I've done wrong, but because of what that audit is. I want to be squeaky clean. But the IRS audit is kindergarten 
compared to God's audit. It's kindergarten. Jesus says, you will give an account. We had some rules in the Sartell house about dating uh, when our children were teenagers, about going out for the evening. One of them was that they always left from our house. And we were always there when they left, either Janet or I. But another, another rule was that I was always there, awake and dressed when they came in. Janet, she, at nine o'clock, she's gone. And I would tell my children that I was concerned that they got home safe. I told them I wanted them to know that I cared. But that wasn't the real reason. I wanted Jill and John and Jamie to know every minute they were out on that date or with their friends or at a concert or wherever, I wanted them to know that they had to face me when they came up. And you know what? I know that many times that affected what they did. I'm not going home to somebody else's house. I'm not going home to parents that are in bed. My dad's going to be sitting there on the couch when I come in. The judge is at home waiting in the den. I commend that to you. I learned it from Jesus. Jesus said, Remember the future and live backward. C.S. Lewis preached a sermon. It's entitled The World's Last Night. He's talking about when Jesus returns and it's the world's last night and judgment begins. Now put this on your scripture sheet. So look at it as I read it to you. It will be infallible judgment. If it's favorable, we shall have no fear. If unfavorable, we will have no hope that it is wrong. We shall not only believe, we shall know. Know beyond doubt in every fiber of our appalled or delighted being that as the judge has said it, so we are, neither more or less or other. We shall know, and all creation will know too. Our ancestors, our parents, our wives, our husbands, or our children, the unanswerable and by then self-evident truth about each one of us will be known to all. I do not find, listen to this, I do not find that pictures of a physical catastrophe, that sign in the clouds, those heavens roll back as a scroll, help one so much as the naked idea of judgment. We cannot always be excited. We can perhaps train ourselves to ask more and more often how the thing which we are saying or doing or failing to do at each moment will look when that is irresistible light streams in upon us, that light that is different from the light of this world. And yet even now we know just enough of it to take it into account. Women sometimes have the problem of trying to judge by artificial light how a dress will look by daylight. That is very like the problem of all of us. 
dressed to dress our souls, not for the electric lights of the present world, but for the daylight of the next. The good dress is the one that will face that light. That light will last much longer. Where did Lewis learn that? He learned it from Jesus in Luke 12. Jesus said, you can't always look heavenward saying, I'm looking for Jesus. But you can have in your mind continually that I have to give an account for my day. I haven't given an account for this deal. I haven't given an account for this remark. I have to give an account for these things. Now, I put one other quote on there from Lewis. Uh, maybe we won't get all the plans that we made have, you know, we won't get everything done. This was really helpful to me. And this is also on your sheet. For what comes is judgment. Happy are those who find it laboring in their vocations, whether they were merely going out to feed the pigs or laying good plans to deliver humanity a hundred years hence from some great evil. The curtain has indeed now fallen. Those pigs will never in fact be fed. The great campaign against white slavery of governmental tyranny will never in fact Proceed to victory. No matter. You were at your post when the inspection came. You say, John, uh, that sounds like it's a salvation by works. No. When you think like that and you know you've got to stand before him, it will drive you to that cross. It will drive you to the blood of Jesus Christ. It will drive you to raise your hand and say, I'm a sinner. And my only hope is the grace of God. Amen. Our hymn is a hymn that actually Jay played last week in our call to worship. Gracious Spirit, dwell with me. It's most appropriate for us to sing.